Hey everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. I believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take one book a semester, one chapter a week, and really dig in to understand the context and the culture that the book was written in so that we can better understand how to apply what God is saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with his word. This season, we are going through the book of Romans, chapter 5, and I'm calling it Full Access. All right, so I'm so glad that you're sticking with us. And again, this um, Paul's letters are a little bit different than the Gospels, where it's not a narrative, but is more of instruction. And I just want to remind you that this is done in love. He is so excited to meet the members of this these home churches in Rome and he thanks God for them and their prayers and he is just so proud of them but at the same time he has some correcting to do now remember Paul has this background where he was very scholarly he was a pharisee he was at the top of his class he was discipled by one of the most renowned rabbis of all time. So he has this head knowledge, but then he also has this heart knowledge because on um, his journey to Damascus, where he was going to persecute Christians, and he had been persecuting Christians, and there had been deaths as a result of this, he encounters Jesus, and he has a three-year stint in Arabia where he has to go back and revisit all of the Old Testament and understand it in the lens or under the lens of who Jesus was. And so he just has this amazing, great insight, and he is sharing some flaws and thinking to the early church. He's doing it in love. He's excited. He prays for them in a good way, asking for blessings, and he's asking God, can I meet them so that I can be encouraged just being in their presence? So I want us to keep this in mind because in the Christian walk, in the Christian life, we can tend to take events. If if there is something that we're not doing perfect, because we are such a perfection-driven um, culture, and none of us are going to be perfect, and there's going to be things that people who have run this race a little bit longer or in a different area, they, they might see some blind spots, and iron sharpens iron, so they've got to go in and file down those rough edges. And so in chapter 5, Paul actually is shifting gears, and he is explaining the benefit to those who are justified. Remember, Once we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and decide to follow him and there's action behind that and fruit to prove that our heart has really changed, we are in right standing with God. He looks at us as if we have not sinned because Christ took our sin and gave us his righteousness. So we're going to start off and it starts off saying, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. A couple of things here. Remember this word declared righteous. That's another word for justified. We are sinless before God and that comes through our faith. We just believe what God says and we put action behind it. And I think it's interesting that um, you don't have to have this very large measure of faith. Um, In fact, Jesus is telling um, his disciples in the New Testament that he really requires the faith that faith the size of a mustard seed, which is one of the tiniest seeds. And it definitely was the tiniest seed in the Middle East at that time. Teeny tiny. He's saying that, that that's really all that he's requiring. 
But if you have this and you are justified, then you are at peace with God. Remember, there are all these rituals to appease God's, the wrath of God in the Old Testament. God's wrath allowing us Allowing sin to take us where we wanted to go. That's what his wrath is. It's not necessarily him having fire and brimstone and thunder and lightning to strike us down. It is, okay, I'm going to remove my hand of protection. Or actually, I don't even think he removes it. We choose to walk outside of the parameters of his protection and we get eaten up. That's, that is the wrath of God. But once we are declared righteous, we have this peace with God where we don't have to go yearly into any kind of sacrificial system and appease his wrath. It is done. It is finalized. And we stand with peace with God. And that, you know, that means even when we continue to sin, which we all will do, we are at peace. We can stand boldly in front of him, but we should go with a repentant heart, always checking ourselves. I think for me, that's what I've gotten most out of Romans is we better check ourselves on a daily basis and ask the Holy Spirit to show us where we are not aligned with him and then get aligned. Okay, this this word peace in the Middle East is a word that they would say, they, they would say shalom. And this is... Um, I was reminded that there was a peace offering that they had to make also, in addition to all the other offerings, they were having to make these pretty often peace offerings um, to to God so that they could be in right standing. And that is, again, just the beauty of the, the work on the cross is we don't even know what these rituals are, but we just kind of take for granted that, oh, there's eternal peace with him once we have accepted him. It's such a gift. And we through that have obtained access into grace. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This word obtain access. This is a Greek word that didn't really mean access on a everyday normal level. It denotes being in the presence of royalty. In Christ, there are no restrictions. Remember in the old days, they could only God's presence was in the Holy of Holies and only the high priest could go into that room once a year once he made sure he was ritually pure. Well, now we have access to royalty and there's nothing that can restrict that. Every believer, every believer, Jew and Gentile, has this access. It's permanent. It cannot be undone just like the picture of circumcision cannot be undone. And remember, this is Saul who... Is now going by Paul telling us this. He understands the beautiful magnitude of God's grace because he was someone who was actually killing and persecuting God's children. And I'm reminded, um, well, actually years ago, there was a movie came, that came out on Paul and Luke's life. And I was so excited to see it because I just finished a deep study in Acts. And, you know, whenever you watch these movies and they have everything inaccurate and it just infuriates you. I loved this movie. Jen Caviezel played Luke. I can't think of the name of it, but it was so accurate. Whoever produced it really did a great job. And I remember this came alive to me when Paul, while he was in prison, was writing these letters and Luke would be to be visiting him. And at night, it would show Paul in the cell and he would have these flashbacks of him in the angry mobs persecuting Christians. And that's where you see his famous line in scripture, my grace is sufficient. And it literally showed him in the fetal position doing self-talk 
that saying that his grace is sufficient for me. It just was a beautiful picture of us. Like Paul doesn't just say these profound things because he's just a profound person. He was actually walking through and experiencing the amazing grace of God. One of the things that uh, this next section, I'm just, um, you know, one of my favorite things, and I think it's such a, um, of we, we avoid it in the American church because it's not part of our culture. No one wants to suffer. And I'm going to read this aloud to you in chapter five, verse three. It says, but now we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is one of my favorite sections. Um, We're going into a series of events, and it's like a chain reaction. Paul's telling us at the very beginning of these events is that we need to rejoice in our sufferings, which is hard, and we'll get there. But if we do that, if we have the right heart, then that is going to produce endurance And then if we have endurance, that produces character. And then if we have character, it will produce hope. These things build on one another. And all of them lead us to repent. Well, let's talk about these things. The first word is endurance. And this is another translation will have perseverance. And this is to abide under or to stay under the pressure. We all know that when we give our heart to Jesus, there is a little honeymoon period and everything is wonderful. And I think the Lord just does that in his own sweet way because we need we need the pats on the backs and we need the things to celebrate. And oh, yay, we're on the right track. And oh, look what a good God is. Good God that God is. But then will come the warfare. Anytime that you are all in with Christ, there will be a season where all hell will break loose because the dark enemy literally does not want you to continue following him. And it will, it's a picture in the parables of the, the birds coming up and eating the seeds. A lot of times in scripture, birds represent, um, evil and the, the, the dark side. I sound like I'm talking about, um, Star Wars here, but, um, so this endurance is when those times come, we abide under it. We don't run away. We stay under the pressure. I am just going to be honest with you. When, um, since I've decided to do this Bible Nerds full time, I've been working all year to get everything in the right place. And I appreciate your, your donations to make this happen. And God is moving and we see him moving in the midst of this and it's blowing us away every day. But at the same time, from the moment that I started working at home about three weeks ago, you would not believe the warfare that I have been under, that my entire family has been under, and that every one of my girls that are involved in this has been under. And it would be so easy just to say, eh, I'm not doing this. I just enjoy my little peaceful life. <laughs> and this is an endurance that we are all under. It's we are learning to abide and to stay under the pressure. Once this starts being developed because I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to ride this out. Then character is built. And this Greek is a Greek word um, or it comes from the Greek word. And the idea behind it is being put to test and approved to be reliable where people can count on your strength. Don't we all want to be a person of character? We want people to look at us at the end of the day and say, you know what? They really represented and looked like Jesus rather than the ministries that you see that 
looked so good. And then at the end of them, you see that there was all this ugliness that caused younger believers to doubt and to feel like Christians are hypocrites. We want to be reliable in people the people that others can count on because of our strength. And then through that, that produces hope. And the hope is that God is producing Christ's image in us so that we can be used to be a light to the world and that many will come to know him. So we are rejoicing. We're not rejoicing like, yay, awesome, I'm being persecuted or all these things horrible happen. Yay, I'm so, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that we got in a wreck this week. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying rejoice in what is being produced in our lives. So when we see these things, when we know that they're coming, while they stink, we literally can say, you know what? We're gonna lean into God and we're gonna have the right heart so that we will have endurance, that character will be built, and that ultimately we will have a hope. So we're rejoicing in those things. These are not signs of God's displeasure, but they are signs of his care. And I love this um scripture, and it kind of comes from the Proverbs, that one should rejoice more in chastisement than prosperity is a a commentary from a rabbi that I had read. One should rejoice more in chastisement than in prosperity because Proverbs 3.12 says, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects. And don't you know we all need correcting? If there's no correction going on, then we need to check and see if we are aligned with God because we might be far out there on our own because he always should be correcting us just like we're correcting our children on a day-to-day basis. Um, James chapter one and first Peter chapter one, both, both of these men are encouraging their readers as well to rejoice in these times because something is being produced. And I do want to warn you, we can, during these hard times, have one of two attitudes. We can shake our fist at God and grow bitter and lots of negative, ugly stuff will be produced if we do that. Or we can look at God and lean in on him and rejoice because something beautiful is getting produced. This hope the end of the character chain. Remember there was character, I mean, there was endurance, character, and hope. So this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So this hope, the ultimate thing in the character chain, chain will not disappoint us. It won't put us to shame is another translation. And I just thought of this, that um, the, the scripture, and I didn't look up the the reference, but there's a scripture, he who started a good work will be faithful to complete it. That's our hope. He's completing something beautiful in us. Um, So this will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts. And this reminded me, and it would have reminded the, the children reading this that had memorized the Old Testament of Joel chapter two's prophecy that in the last days, he will pour out his spirit on all men. And then it is, um, through the power of the Holy Spirit, how this happens. Every Christian has the Spirit, but not all live in its fullness. I want to say that again. When we accept Jesus and start following him, we receive his Holy Spirit. And so every Christian has the Spirit, but not all live under the fullness of the Spirit. And that's from Ephesians 5.18. Look it up. And not all Christians walk in the Spirit from Romans 8. We'll get there. And so there is this development that needs to take place through the baptism of the Holy Spirit where we can walk on this earth right now 
in the fullness of the Holy Spirit's power working in us. And this is the goal because through the power of the Spirit, many, many, many people can come to know Christ through our ministry to them. This is, um, well, I'm not going to go there. I'm sorry. I got ahead of myself. Okay. So suffering, this word suffering in the Greek denotes something that causes distress, but we know from our, our previous talk that it also is going to produce something. And if we lean into our suffering correctly, it is going to produce the wonderful things that are listed in this chapter. I do want to talk about this. You know, this again, this is not who wants to suffer. Nobody wants to suffer. And unfortunately, there's this myth that, oh, if you give your life to Jesus, everything is going to be wonderful. No, you still, in this world, we will have much trouble, but he overcame the world. Take heart. He overcame the world. But we see through example that the 12 apostles Every one of them, John, was martyred. That means that they had an excruciating, horrible death because of their beliefs. All of them, except for John, and he was exiled. He was all alone on the island of Patmos. So he was imprisoned. We see that John the Baptist at the end of his ministry is in prison and Herod is going to behead him. We see Paul becoming an apostle and he is martyred. And we see Stephen in the book of Acts. He was just one of the overseers, like an elder in the church, and he was uh, severely persecuted. No one wants to go through this. And no one really even wants to talk about it, but we will have trouble in this world. And I want you to take heart because he overcomes the world. And our response is to rejoice at the fruit being produced in it because we can be used more effectively for the kingdom. In this season, I had shared with you and be praying for the staff of Bible nerds because we are feeling it big time. But, you know, those are things that we will get through and we can handle. But here recently, I feel like there, there have been those around me that are going through really heavy, like life-altering, faith-altering things, you know, with their children or um, with their loved ones that are just huge that no person ever wants to go through. And that is where we need to step in community. I had a friend just recently, and this is a very personal story, but she found out some some bad news and it, it, it rocked me. It rocked me. And whenever I got the message and it was just this week, I mean, I just had to stop and I threw a little fit and I had to, you know, tell God, I'm mad. I'm mad at this and I'm going to fight for it. And um, I wanted to to go and be with her. And she said, I just, I need a day. I need a day to just cry and be in my feels. And so these are definitely huge things. And I was like, that's fine. I'll just go and I'll cry with you and we'll pray. But we know that in this season, I mean, she talked about it, like this is going to be a journey where so much is going to be produced in her. And God is really taking her to a place where she's going to have to lean in on him like never before. But through that, we have this hope. That's what he's saying, that we have this hope. So today, uh, because of all the things that are going on around me and the pain and that that just the agony that I see people that I love dearly going through, I just want to take a minute and and just say, we know, we know that this world has some heavy, heavy, heavy things that you're walking through, but I do want you to take heart and I do want you to muster the strength just to pray, God, 
Help me rejoice. Help me lean in on you and rejoice in what you are producing in me through this hard time. And we are praying for y'all. And we want to say that we are praying that you get to experience the peace of God that passes all understanding. I have a friend, a very, very long time dear friend, and um, as I kind of share this, some of you will know what who it is because you've just heard, and my, she has a huge part of my personal testimony, but um, she had a very hard, difficult childhood, very, you know, a, a nightmare of, of some things that happened to her in her childhood, and she handled it by throwing herself into godly relationships and serving in her church, and from a young age, she loved big and she was very selfless. And um, in fact, she was in the youth group that I was a part of as a youth leader. She was 15 when my mom got cancer and my mom, um, she withered away um, very quickly. I mean, it was months. Uh, she just turned into a completely different person. We had hospice in the house. She was 80 something pounds and my closest friends would not come over because it was just who would want to go into that. It was horrible. And at 15, this girl that was in my youth group that has since then grown to be one of my closest friends would get rides to my house. And she would also have the ride swing by Castle Lay and pick up chips and salsa and queso and bring to our house just to love on us at 15. I never can get through this story. And, you know, in our adult life, um, we're still a part of each other's lives. And um, there was a time that she was remembering some things in her childhood that she had just blocked out completely. And we were just talking about kids and, you know, kids are normal kids. And, um, but you know, our kids being raised in America are entitled. And, you know, she was just talking about the entitlement of her children. And she said, you know what? And this, this struck a chord in me deep. She said, you know what? The things I went through in my childhood made me the person that I am today. This horrible suffering that she went through that no child should ever go through instilled in her. Because remember, I told you, she leaned into church and she leaned into godly relationships. And that sweet spot of where compassion and empathy and love and selflessness was ingrained into her at such a young age. You know, where she doesn't judge people because she knows the pain of things that they're walking and she comes in and walks alongside of them. That is something beautiful, but she was telling me that that could have only been produced in her suffering. And so today, I just tell you to embrace those seasons because it makes us, it makes us into incredible human beings that are selfless and compassionate and can go into a dying and hurting world and reach them because you know what? We've been there too. Oh, I didn't mean to go there so so much. And so I'm going to kind of look over my notes and I'm going to skip over some of my personal stories that I was debating on sharing. And one day I will. Um, but, oh, I do want to get to this point of um, the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where Jesus went and he wept before his crucifixion and he was sweating blood out of his body. And this word Gethsemane, means it's literally translated the place for pressing oil and see this part of um, Jerusalem it was known for its olive oil and they had these huge olive presses and you know like you see maybe in cartoons and stuff where the donkey is in like a little barn and he's kind of haltered and he's just going in a circle that is part of the olive crushing it's crushing the olive so you can get the oil out but then 
they put those crushed olives under an olive press. And this was a heavy stone that was lowered onto the pieces of olives, squeezing every bit of oil out. And see, this is a picture of Jesus in the garden with the weight of his crucifixion, which would be the heavy stone, pressing down on him so heavy. And instead of oil coming out, we see that blood-filled sweat. We too, friends, can be crushed by the weight of the world and it can lead us to blaming God, becoming bitter, or we can say, your will, God, kill my flesh, make me more like you. We can draw near to him just like we see Jesus did in the garden and we can have perseverance and endurance and character developed. And you know what that is a picture of is this anointing oil being pressed out of us for other people to consume. That is literally what is happening in the spiritual when we are crushed and we lean into God. That oil, that anointing oil is exiting us and it is touching other people and they are forever changed because of it. There's a song that I was thinking about this entire time that I was preparing for this. It's called New Wine by Hillsong. So if this is something that resonates in you, just play that song today. Just put it on the background, get on your knees, just be in the presence of God because that is what he is doing is in the pressing, in the crushing, he is making new wine. Okay, so then we're going to move into this next section. And in my Bible, it was titled Death Through Adam, Life Through Christ. And Adam was the first man. And in fact, his name literally is translated as Adam, and it means man. And what Paul is saying is as sin entered through Adam and death entered the world through sin. So like we all have this sin nature because thanks, Adam, he brought that into the world. And mind you, I ne- they never mention Eve in this uh, passage. It is all, all of the sin, all of the disobedience is contributed to Adam because he was the head and he was the one that walked in the garden and got the instructions for the tree of knowledge of good and evil before Eve was ever even created. But that's just my little joke in two cents. But as sin entered through Adam and death entered through that sin, um, that spread to all mankind. And really one of the things that I was um, looking at this morning from Ray Steadman, he was saying, this is this death is more than a funeral. We're not just talking about literal physical death only. We are talking about the absence of life while we're in the here and now. Remember, Adam lived in a garden where while he had to work, it wasn't difficult. It was a joy. And I think everything came easy. But then he was expelled from life. He was expelled from the garden and he had to go work and till the ground. And everything was difficult. Childbirth, tilling the ground. Every bit of this was difficult outside of the garden. So this is an absence of life. It's an emptiness. It's loneliness. It's depression. It's boredom. It's restlessness. It's not living up to what you believe that you were created to do. And so sin entered this. And he even, Paul is explaining that sin entered before the law. Because you know, really, how do you fall short if you don't have a law to tell you what you're supposed to be doing. But we see just through different accounts that there was the sin because these patriarchs were found in right standing through their faith. So obviously that meant they had missed the mark and they weren't in right standing with God. But God, um, but God's act of salvation came not only for the Israelites, but for for the world. But what Paul is beating into the Jews is 
this idea that, let me get my thoughts. I'm sorry. I'm trying to talk and read at the same time. What Paul is beating the Jews is to an argument. That's where I was going. Paul is beating the Jews to an argument, addressing a possible objection that's coming up, that the Gentiles cannot be accused of sin because they don't observe Torah, and that Jesus's atonement can't cover their sins because they don't observe Torah. But Adam, but from the time of Adam to Moses, which was 200, 2,500 years of a man not having the law, we know through scripture that they were justified. So obviously, with or without the law, you can miss the mark and God can justify you. So he's, he's hitting that hard again. But What Paul is stressing here is what Jesus accomplished by his obedience to God was far greater than what Adam caused by his disobedience. This is a word, where did I write that? I found this, oh, it's called, this is a Jewish term, what Paul is doing, this this showing one normal thing that everyone's familiar with, but then saying, but how much greater is God. This is called Kava Homer, and it means how much more then? How much more? And for example, um, Jesus tells a parable of a, a judge, and a woman goes, and she keeps bugging him to, to mm, be set free or not have to pay a fine. I can't remember the details. And go, Jesus in the parable is not saying God's like this judge that, oh, you just need to go and bug him. He's saying That's how a judge would be. So how much more is your heavenly father, a loving God that is going to grant the things that you are asking if it lines up with his will? So this kava homer means how much more. And so what Paul is stressing here is that Adam brought sin into the world and the second Adam, which is Jesus, how much more of this grace and life did he bring? If Adam had the ability to bring death and sin into the world, how much more can Jesus, the son of God, bring grace and bring life? And so I thought this was interesting. The first Adam was made from the dust in God's breath, and we are in that likeness as the first human. And the second Adam, Jesus, came from heaven, and he was raised and entered into a new form of existence, and we will ultimately receive that glorified body at the end of the world, so we will become like the second Adam. So the the second Adam, which is Christ, reversed the disastrous effects of Adam's sin. There was so much more that Jesus did far, his goodness was far greater than Adam's defaults. And basically his point here was saying, hey, sin has nothing on grace. You thought sin was powerful? Well, come watch grace. And, you know, I think that there's something to be said about this um, reversal, because that is really something that all Jewish people looked for all through scripture. For example, they saw the Tower of Babel where God scattered the languages and scattered the people. The reversal of that was the entering of the Holy Spirit where God brought the people back together. And then as the people who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit were prophesying, people could hear it in their own tongue. So it was like the languages were brought back together again. There's so many reversals in scripture. And this is one here where Christ reversed Adam's sin. So here's the deal. When we become followers of Jesus, we receive, we are granted this peace by faith. In the now, we get to have peace on earth. That doesn't mean that we have this great life, but it means through the trials, through the tribulations, we can actually have this peace where we experience life, we experience fulfillment, even in our grieving. We also have full access to God. 
full access because he was 100% man and his work on the cross allowed us to have that access to God through Jesus. This enables us to rejoice in the very hard times and he will produce in us new wine. Just as much as Adam sinned and caused death to enter, Jesus broke that curse and reversed it and now grace abounds for everyone. Well, this is the end of chapter five. I look forward to studying in chapter six and meeting with y'all next week. We really want to hear what God is doing in your life. We want, we would love for you to respond to the questions, to the the blogs. Reach out to us if there's other things that you want to see, other things that perhaps we could be dreaming um, about and providing um, to make this community stronger. I am excited whenever those of you that tell me that you're inviting people into your house and y'all are studying together, this is exactly what we want because we could have a list of rules and regulations that we think... Um, obtains a, a strong Christian walk, but that was never the goal. The goal was for you to fall in love with Jesus and for him to change you and to live out his word because of your faith in his grace. It's been fun. Happy reading. I'll see you next week.